The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. And first pitch, crushing! Deep left field! This is Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Maybe, just maybe, 2023 is not the year for Alec Manoa or Lance Lynn. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today, and welcome to June. I am Frank Sample, and the voice you will hear joining me today is not Barry White. It is indeed Scott White, and you'll find out why in just a moment. Today on the show... We have first base decisions to make, ranking waiver wire pitchers, and what's the latest on the starting pitcher bust trio of the season. Before we get started, please like this video and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. All right, Scott, the big reveal. Why did I refer to you as Barry White? Because I sound like this today. <laughs> Jeez. I don't know what's going on. I feel like I've been sick more than I've been well in 2023. And so I'm just gonna just gonna soldier on here. But you guys are gonna have to bear with me because this is what I sound like. I wonder what it'd be like if I did the Michael Caine voice like this. <laughs> I once knew a man named Lorenzo, last name Kane, like mine, only spelled differently. No E. That's great. It's, actually, it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> oh, man, that is great. Well, get, get better soon, Scotty. Uh, I'll try to do the heavy lifting here today, but, you know, show goes on. Let's do it. Let's talk a little baseball. Holy Toledo. The Allen with a surprise reigns supreme. Holy Toledo. That is A's legendary broadcaster Bill King calling a walk-off bunt in the 2003 ALDS, and uh, that was sent in earlier today on Twitter, and I liked it. So we're going to work that in. Scott, let's start it off. Who is your player of the night? Okay, I'm going to talk about Josh Naylor. Josh Naylor had a big old game here on Wednesday. Went four for five. Hit his eighth home run. Doubled twice. Drove in six. All four of his hits were 98 miles per hour or higher. Three of them were 100 or higher. So he was making good wood, as the kids say. And in his last 14 games, 385 with five home runs. So Josh Naylor's been on a burner here. And it's overdue. It's overdue because this 14-game span where he's at 385 with five home runs has brought his season batting average up to 251 and his season slugging percentage up to 443. 
you know, nothing to get too excited about there. But then you look at his expected stats, expected batting average 286, expected slug 496. Those are those are those are kind of like the expected marks we got so excited about for Brian De La Cruz last year. Uh, Josh Naylor's been doing that, and they, they've been high all year. So you know, hopefully, this hot streak is just the start of bringing his actual numbers up to those expected numbers. Now, I've been reluctant to endorse Naylor, even knowing that about his expected stats, because of his tendency to sit against left-handed pitchers. But that's been happening less and less as the years as the year has gone on. Naylor's been playing against lefties more. And his numbers against lefties, let's see what those look like. They're bad, but at least he's playing against lefties. So uh yeah, I I do feel like we kind of went through this. I had this exact same spiel for Naylor in the middle of last season and ultimately it didn't pan out. So I'm still a little, a little gun shy based on that. I, I wouldn't want you to put all your eggs in the Josh Naylor basket, but while he's hot, I think we have to at least be open to the possibility that he is a real asset for you. And Josh Naylor could be available in some shallower leagues. He's 69% rostered. And I know you mentioned last year, Scott, what he did. It wasn't, a great year. It wasn't a bad year either. He had 256 last season with 20 homers, 79 RBI, six steals, and a 771 OPS. He did that in just 122 games. So he was pretty French. Pretty yeah. French. Yeah. But as you mentioned, those expected stats look great for Josh Naylor. He's lifting the ball more this year, career high 40% fly ball rate. And as he usually does, making a lot of contact, just a 17.4% strikeout rate for Josh Naylor this season. Which leads us into a bigger discussion about the first base position, Scott. I wanted to have this and just talk about players like Jose Abreu and Miguel Vargas and whether or not we can just say goodbye to those names at this point in the season. It is June 1st, after all. And uh, you brought up one of the waiver wire first basemen I wanted to talk about. The other two, Spencer Steer went one for three with his eighth home run. having He had a big month of May. He's now batting 289 overall with an 854 OPS, hitting more fly balls this season as well. 89.7 average exit velocity is pretty good. It doesn't blow you away. Obviously has that great home ballpark in Cincinnati. And your boy, Scott, Alex Kirilov. He's picking it up here. Two for four with a run and RBI. Has multiple hits in three of his last five games. And he's hitting 314. He's got a 934 OPS. Only three home runs, uh, but the walk rate is sky high right now. 17% walk rate for Kirilov. He's hitting a bunch of line drives so far, and he is 46% rostered. First off, let's rank these three, and then we'll talk about Abreu and Vargas. How would you rank Josh Naylor, Spencer Steer, and Alex Kirilov? Well, that's hard, because I, I do think if, if, if you're in a deeper league then Steer gets extra credit just because I think he's the most likely to keep getting every day at bats of these three. And so if you're you're aiming for the safe route, then maybe Steer's number one. But I think the average listener plays in the sort of league where they can go for the home run, the figurative home run, not the literal home run. And that would rank Steer last. I would put Naylor one, Kirilov two, Steer three. Okay. Now, the next conversation, are you okay dropping Jose Abreu and Miguel Vargas for any of these? Vargas, by the way, went 0 for 5 on Wednesday, which drops his season-long batting average to 218, and he's just really not hitting the ball with any authority. 86.9 average exit velocity, 31% hard hit rate. Scott, what are your thoughts? Uh, can we drop Jose Abreu and Miguel Vargas for any of these names? Well, certainly Vargas. I would have no qualms about doing that. I'm not like giving up on Vargas in, in a dynasty sense. But he's, he's done nothing in redraft that would convince me to keep him around, especially since, you know, these other three options offer a fair amount of upside too. Now, Jose Abreu, I'm a bit torn on that one because it's been a few weeks now that I've said Abreu is droppable. You know, I had an article about it and everything. You could go back and read it. I'm I'm pretty pessimistic about his chances of bouncing back at this point. But I think these are all when you're talking about a high-end outcome the sort of high-end outcome 
that you'd want from your starting first baseman. I think the probability of that happening is pretty low for all of these players. It's possible. It's possible for Kirilov. It's possible for Naylor. It's possible for Abreu. The, the one I don't think it's really possible, a high-end outcome, is Steer. Who is it most possible for? Would be my question to you. Who do, who do you think the high-end outcome is most possible for? Yeah, it's a good question, too, because, I mean, the obvious answer should be Jose Abreu, right? Just be based on what we've seen in his career, but he just doesn't look anything like that player right now, right? There's nothing that we can point to. He's struggling against fastballs, not making hard contact. He just kind of mm. looks like a, you know, 36, 37-year-old first baseman who's struggling mightily. So, I mean, of these names, I, it's probably Josh Naylor, like you pointed out. At least based on the quality of contact, right? Yeah, maybe. It may be him. I don't know. I, I th- Who's the least rostered of these first basemen currently? It's Kirilov at 46%. And then the second least is? Steer, 64. And Naylor is 69. So those two are pretty close. I mean, the, the bottom line, I think, is that you can't afford to have Abreu in your lineup right now. Right. And... You know, the shallower the league, the less likely you have to worry about somebody picking them up, obviously. And you just need you just need to get something out of your first base spot. So I think that rationale uh, would incline me to say, yeah, it's fine to drop a Brave for these. It would have been better to drop them three weeks ago for hopefully somebody even better than these players. But obviously that ship has sailed. So this this may be the best you can do at this point if you're looking to move on from a Brave. Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit more optimistic, I think, about Spencer Steer. I know the numbers don't really jump off the page. That May was really good, Scott. I mean, 318 batting average, six homers, 18 runs, 19 RBI, a 945 OPS. He, you know, made some notable changes, lowered the strikeout rate, you know, hit more fly balls in the month of May. And, you know, by the end of June, this Reds lineup could look completely different, right? I mean, the counting stats could potentially be awesome, right? If Ellie De La Cruz and Christian Encarnacion Strand join this lineup. So I think I'm a little bit more optimistic. I think I'd still put him at the top of this group. I, I really like Steer, yeah. but maybe I'm just more of like a, maybe I play more to like the floor than, than the ceiling. Um, that might just be something in like my playing style. Uh, but yeah, I do like Spencer Steer quite a bit. I like all these names. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when I, when I say it, it obviously changes depending on what sort of depth of league you're used to. Like, I, I think that was the gist of our, our Josh Young argument yesterday because uh, I got some pushback for what I was saying about him. Basically, I was laying out the case that Josh Young might only be a Ryan Mountcastle type hitter when all is said and done, which, you know, in a certain league context, that's still a pretty valuable hitter. And, you know, Chris was dropping like Austin Riley comparisons, which is a very different class of hitter <laughs> in a shallow league. You know, there's a big difference between... Austin Riley and Ryan Mountcastle. But anyway, so like I, I, when, I, when I say I, I don't see a high-end outcome for Spencer Steer, what I'm saying is he might end up being merely a 260-hitting 20-homer guy. He might end up being merely, uh, you know, he, he might end up being merely what Brandon Drury was last year which was still a bit pretty valuable player. But if you're talking about like a real difference maker mm-hmm. across the board in fantasy, I don't see that as a possible outcome for steer. That's the most logical. I would say again, that's, that's probably the most likely outcome for him. But for someone who's had a Brayu or even Miguel Vargas as their starting first baseman, I think they would take that as, as their yeah. starter right now, just based on how bad those sure. guys have played. Uh, the one other name I wanted to mention in this just first base conversation, Freddie Freeman, man, let's give a tip of the cap. An insane month of May. Obviously, it's just a great season all around. But in May, Freddie Freeman hit four, uh, 400 with six homers, 17 doubles, 17 doubles in a month, 1184 OPS, 26 RBI, four steals in 28 games. Nearly an RBI per game for Freddie Freeman in the month. And uh, Scott, I saw your article about redrafting the first two rounds. If we were doing that, you know, from today moving forward, I saw that you had Freddie Freeman fifth overall in that and. I mean, how can you argue against it based on uh, what he's done so far? I, I couldn't put him any lower than fifth. I, I thought about putting him as high as, well, well, one, two, and three were Acuna, Judge, and Tatis, and I don't think I could be talked out of that. But I, I thought about putting Freeman as high as fourth rest of season. I think 
I mean, he gave a lot of crazy stats there. RBI per game, 17 doubles. The fact he's now with this latest two-steal game here on May 31st, he has eight steals. (laughs) We were thinking career-high 13 last year. There's no way Freddie Freeman does that again. He's on pace for like 25 steals now. And I'm... I'm not sure he won't get there as easy it is to, as it is to steal bases. Like he's clearly not afraid to take advantage of that. I'll take the, if we're setting the over under at 25, I'll take the under. Right. But it might be like 20, you know, it's going to be, he's going to be a reasonably good number. He's on pace for a 30, 20 season, Scott. Think about that. While batting nearly 350. I mean, it's just, just, Bonkers stuff for Freddie Freeman. So uh, for anyone who took him in the late first, early second round, obviously you feel great about that right now. Let's get back to our players of the night. I want to highlight Louis Varland, who had an awesome start at Houston. We were talking beforehand about, all right, Kenta Maeda looks like he's working his way back. And I feel like any time a pitcher kind of has their role threatened, unless you're Cal Quantrill, I guess, uh, it seems like they put up one of their best starts of the season. Same thing happened for Logan T. Allen recently had an awesome start uh, with his kind of back up against the wall. Louis Varland at the Houston Astros, seven shutout with five strikeouts to one walk, 13 swinging strikes on 86 pitches, five of those on the cutter, five on the slider, three on the fastball. He limited the hard contact in this one. Slider was up over a mile per hour as well. Uh, Really leaned into his cutter in this start. It was his most used pitch. And now at this point in the season, Louis Varlin has a 351 ERA, a 115 whip, nearly a strikeout per inning. He's limited the walks. Uh, does give up a, a good amount of hard contact and and home runs, but you know a 12.3 percent swinging strike rate. This is a quality starting pitcher, uh, Varland, and you know Bailey Ober for that matter. I know we've talked about him a lot too. Louis Varland is up to 48 percent rostered. Scott, what are your thoughts on him? Is he a must add? Does he stick around for the Twins? He kind of reminds me. Like what would be the best comp? Like a, a modern Ricky Nolasco, maybe oh, in that like. If Chris was here, he would love that comp. But I don't know if I could yeah. talk much to Ricky Nolasco. Well, and if if you look back at his numbers in today's historical context, it might not even make sense. But like, good strikeout pitcher. You mentioned the swinging strike rate, really good control, nearly seventy percent strike rate which, you know, I think 64 is like average 70 is like amazing, like league leader type strike percentage. So the guy throws a lot of strikes. He has a good enough arsenal to miss bats, but that hard contact is probably going to put his ERA a little on the high side relative to what you'd like it to be, uh, what, it, what it could be just given everything else. Um, but I think like altogether, like he's a net good. Like I'd, I'm happy to have Louis Varland in every league where I do. And I hope he does stick around. I do still think, though, he's the most logical odd man out if and when Kenta Maeda rejoins the rotation. I mean, the only other choice would be Bailey Ober, who's been great, too, and who is ahead of uh, Varland in the organizational pecking order. And I think is a better bet to have a better ERA, which ultimately makes him a more useful pitcher, I would say, than Varland. So that's where I'm at with it. Like, yeah, let's, uh, if Varland's still available in your league, he's probably better than most any other pitcher you could find on waivers. But at the same time, don't get too attached because he may not stick around long. If I was running the Twins, I'd just stick Maeda in the bullpen. But I'm not running the Twins, so that's kind of irrelevant. I think that's still a possibility for them. We were talking beforehand. They could theoretically go with a six-man rotation, I'm not sure that they'll do that. I mean, right now, their long reliever in the bullpen is Jose De Leon. So obviously, Kenta Maeda would be an upgrade over that. And given all the arm injuries and trouble that Maeda has had, it's, it's that might be the best role for him at this point. Uh, also, I'm just kind of talking him down because uh, I have some Varland and Ober shares and I want those guys to stick around. Uh, we'll see what the schedule looks like tomorrow when uh, when we do the podcast. But uh, as of now, it looks like Varland would be in line for two starts next week at Tampa Bay and at Toronto. A couple other pitchers that stood out on Wednesday. Braxton Garrett, another strong start up against the Padres. Five and a third, one run allowed, seven strikeouts with 14 swinging strikes. And over his last five starts, since he got blown up by the Atlanta Braves, uh, five starts since then, 2.67 ERA, 0.96 whip, with 32 strikeouts, over 27 innings pitched for Braxton Garrett. Uh, James Paxson turned in another solid start himself, up against the Reds, five innings, one run, 
eight strikeouts to one walk with 22 swinging strikes on 100 pitches. And I think, obviously, health is first and foremost for Paxson. But you want to make sure that he maintains that high velocity. And so far, he's been able to do it in all four of his starts. He was averaging 96 on the fastball again in this start. So uh, outside of one bad outing against the Angels, Paxton has looked really, really good so far. Scott, how would you rank those three uh, if you're looking to add any or all of them? Paxton, Garrett, and Louis Varland. I'm going to rank Paxton number one. I'm going to rank Varland number two. I might flip them if I had you know fewer concerns about Varland losing his job. They're very close. I think they're clearly the two to get and who probably shouldn't be as available as they are. Uh, so Paxton won, Varland two. Paxton does have a little bit of the same issue of Varland in terms of getting hit hard, and, and really that's been an issue throughout his career. I guess it's kind of why he was always a little underwhelming in fantasy relative to what I thought he could be. And so he might remain susceptible to the sort of blow-ups like he had in his previous start. But still, like Paxton looks healthy. He's got a lot of strikeout potential. He's number one. Varlin two, uh, and, and then and then that would leave Garrett third. I want to say somebody who's gearing up to return for the Marlins, Trevor Rogers, right? Yes, and I think Cueto's not far off either. But who knows? So Garrett may not be long for the role either, even though he's pitched better of late. I I noted in previous starts that it seemed like increased cutter usage was the key to his success, and he. he he went back down to more typical cutter usage in this one, half as many as he had been throwing in recent starts. But he brought out the changeup a lot more instead, and it, it's uh, it's nearly as good of a swing and miss pitch as his slider. So clearly, Braxton Garrett is doing some different things with his arsenal that's helping to bring out better results, and I'm inclined to believe in it mostly. But we're talking about a five-inning pitcher on a low-scoring team who may not have a job for long. Yeah, that's a possibility with uh, Braxton Garrett. I guess the Marlins could move Edward Cabrera to the bullpen if they, you know, if push comes to shove there. But look, they're trying to compete, right? And I don't know how realistic it is, but, you know, Edward Cabrera, as much as I like him, you know, he's he's been very up and down this year. So uh, maybe he would be better suited for like a bullpen role. But um, yeah. Uh, that that remains to be seen for uh, Trevor Rogers in that rotation. A couple other names here, Scott. I think more so for uh, deeper leagues than uh, the ones we were just talking about. Carlos Carrasco turn, has now turned in two quality starts in a row. He was up against the Phillies. Six innings of one-run ball with four strikeouts. His velocity was up across the board. We're talking you know, nearly two miles per hour on most of his pitches here. Jared Schuster was okay at the Oakland A's. Five and a third, two runs allowed, four walks to one strikeout. Obviously, you know, that K to walk is not great. Clark Schmidt had a strong start at the Mariners. Four, uh, five and two thirds, seven strikeouts to one walk uh, with 15 swinging strikes on 84 pitches. And he has now allowed two earned runs or fewer in five of his last six starts. Uh, so, Slightly deeper leagues here, Scott, but any thoughts on Carrasco, Schuster, and Clark Schmidt? Yeah, Schuster's just walking too many guys for me to be, feel comfortable with his performance. His last, how many starts? Is it four starts since returning? He's issued just 10 hits in uh, 22 innings. 10 hits in 22 innings, but also 10 walks in those 22 innings. Giving up a ton of fly balls, so in a way, it, it makes sense why he's allowing so few hits, but it's it's too few hits to be believable. And then with all those walks there, I, I think I think, uh, I think Jared Schuster's playing with fire. I also think you'd be playing with fire every time you used Carlos Carrasco. At this stage of his career, he feels kind of Kyle Gibson-like, where when he's at his best... He's at least going to give you a quality start, which is more than you could say about a lot of pitchers. But how often is he going to be at his best? And he's just not enough of a bat misser anymore, I think, to, to count on him with regularity. I do like the direction Clark Schmidt is trending. He's been getting more whiffs recently. I've pointed out before that his secondary pitches have really high spin rates. And so maybe he's on the verge of a breakthrough here. But I, I think it's not quite enough to, to win me over to picking him up yet. 
If you do play in a deeper points league for some reason, uh, Clark Schmidt has, he is a SPARP, he has RP eligibility, so little cheat code there for those who play in points league. He's 25% rostered. Let's take our first break. When we return, we'll talk about the bus trio, Lance Lynn, Alec Manoa, and Blake Snell. What were those guys up to? We'll discuss right after this. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Welcome back, and a quick reminder to download and follow our five-minute podcast, Fantasy Baseball Today in Five, where we take the biggest highlights of the day, the biggest players, the biggest news and notes. We talk about it in just five minutes. So uh, if you'd like a shorter podcast in addition to this one, or if you just don't have enough time in a certain day, again, Download and follow Fantasy Baseball Today in 5 wherever you listen to this podcast. What's going on the latest from the bus trio, Scotty? Lance Lynn, Alec Manoa, and Blake Snell. Let's start with Lance Lynn, my guy, who's uh, making it really hard. He's making it hard to defend him at this point. I know the last three starts coming into this one uh, looked a lot better, but man, goes out and gets clobbered by the Angels. Eight earned runs allowed over four innings pitched that include included three more homers allowed in this one. Lots of hard contact, uh, and now the ERA is up to 6.55. That is the second highest among qualified starting pitchers behind only Jordan Lyles. So not really the company that you want to be in there uh, with Lance Lynn. Just looking deeper, Scott, into what's been wrong this year. The walk rate is the highest it's been since 2018 giving up loads of home runs this season, especially after, you know, this performance. Uh, a 335 BABIP against, that is um, much higher than last year. He's actually given up more hits than innings pitched. Uh, and the fastball velocity, very quietly, has trickled down three years in a row. So uh, if you look at 2021, he was at 94 miles per hour. Last year, 92.9. This year, he's down to 92.3. You add all that up, obviously age is catching up as well. You know, Scott, it's just kind of getting a little bit harder to uh, to keep defending Lance Lynn as either a buy low or, or someone that you shouldn't drop. What are your latest thoughts? Yeah, it's getting harder, but I'd still pick him up in any league where I saw him dropped. So, you know, if you're if you're buying low at this point, it should be very low because the person who has him is probably on the verge of dropping him. But, I mean, you mentioned it. Those previous three starts... All quality starts, a 189 ERA. I think his swinging strike rate is still a career best. It's, and it's dropped down a little bit. I think it's like it's around dropped down a little, but 12% or something. It's still good is the point. Yeah. I, I, I would still bet on him being good from this point forward. Certainly better than he's been. If he has another start like this, so if he has two starts like this in a row, because, you know, everybody, particularly in this environment, is entitled to a blowout start now and then everybody's been subject to that uh so if we treat the last three starts like oh lance lynn's coming around then this is just this is just the blow-up start like you'd see for any other pitcher you know i know it doesn't seem like that because he had all those bad starts before the three start stretch but just like that's a way you could potentially look at it and that's how i'm choosing to look at it given that a lot of the other indicators there are are favorable and he was on a positive trend prior to this start. Mm -hmm. One thing I noticed about those previous three starts, though, he allowed four earned runs. He allowed eight runs total during that time. So, you know, some bad defense behind him. Obviously, that's not entirely his fault, but maybe those numbers could have been 
even worse, right? If if some of those runs were earned. So maybe a little bit lucky on that on that side as well. I updated the rankings on Wednesday. I dropped Lance Lynn down to SP58. So, you know, names that he dropped behind for me, uh, Zach Eflin, Merrill Kelly, Taj Bradley, Jose Barrios. I don't know how likely it is that any of those players are available in leagues that you play in. Uh, but for what it's worth, I don't think I would drop him for any of Louis Varlin, James Paxson, or Braxton Garrett. How about you? Uh, I think I think that's right. I may have him ahead of Taj Bradley among the names you mentioned, uh, but I I have him in that. I have him in like the fifty to fifty five range at starting pitcher. I'm pretty sure. So we're about on the same page there, in yeah. terms of ranking for Lance Lynn. Yeah, let's talk about the pitcher that I have just one spot ranked, one spot below Lance Lynn, and that is Alec Manoa down at SP59 at this point. And, you know, obviously ranked as like a top 20, top 25 starting pitcher coming into the season. I don't know how much more there is to say about Alec Manoa, Scott. It just feels like we say the same thing every time. He could turn it around. We don't know when it's going to happen. This wasn't a completely disastrous start, but it wasn't a good one either. The good news is he allowed two earned runs. The bad news, he only lasted four innings in this one. And very inefficient, 89 pitches over four innings. He had more walks than strikeouts. That is the fourth time he's done that this season. He didn't do that a single time all of last year. More walks than strikeouts in a start. I was watching this one to see if I could pick up on anything or hear what the Blue Jays broadcast had to say. They were talking a lot about mechanics, mindset, and how little confidence Alec Manoa has right now. None of those things are tangible, Scott. Like we, we can't measure those things. It's just something that, again, the light has to kind of just flip on for Alec Manoa, and we haven't seen it. So uh, I, I don't know yeah. if your, your thoughts have changed after another letdown, but let's no, I mean, on it's, Manoa. It's the same thing. Just wait, yeah. waiting for that light switch moment, if you can afford to. And again, no guarantee it's going to happen at all, but uh, it's, it's, it certainly wouldn't be the first instance of it happening. He was talking about mindset after the game. Uh, the quote I saw circulating was, uh, uh, let me see if I can find the right quote. Basically, I'm going to have to paraphrase. He's, he's, he has a mindset currently of don't throw a ball here as opposed to throw a strike here. And so he's trying to flip that mindset. So it, it just sounds like he's, um, I, I don't know, he's feeling kind of mechanical right now and not not like himself, mm-hmm. basically. If you want to take a positive from this start, it's that he threw 66.3% of his pitches for strikes. I know he still had the three walks and in four innings, but that's a good strike percentage. Like if he can do that, if he can do that every start, he's going to be in good shape because he's been closer to like 60% this year. So that that's at least something. Well, Scott, the good news here is... Uh... You're actually really good at paraphrasing because I found the exact quote. The mindset of don't throw a ball here instead of throw a strike right here is it's a difference maker. Right now, I'm stuck in don't throw a ball here. So, yeah, pretty much spot on to uh, what you had there on Alec Manoa. Uh, The last one in this group is Blake Snell, who actually put together a strong start. But you dig a little deeper and there's still not many redeeming qualities from this one. Six shutout innings, seven strikeouts to three walks, 11 swinging strikes on 97 pitches for Blake Snell. Uh, Still allowed a 90.3 average exit velocity against. The fastball velocity was up nearly one mile per hour, so that's the good thing. Uh, The bad is he's still not really getting anything out of his slider or his curveball. The usage on those pitches was down again in this one. It's been down all season. He went very fastball heavy in this start. Uh, And we know when Blake Snell is at his best, it's the slider and the curve are getting all those whiffs. And I think that kind of explains why his swinging strike rate and overall production has been down so far this season. Um, You know, Snell at a 4.5 ERA, 1.5 whip. I don't know that much has changed. I think I dropped him down to like SP70. So he's actually much closer to like the droppable range. I don't know, Scott, would you make that move? Would you drop Snell for like Paxton or Louis Varland? I mean, I, again, I don't have Varland and, oh, Pac, sorry, Paxton and Varland. Yes, I do have them in the same category. Would I drop Snell for them? Uh, it's, it's close. So I currently have Snell 64th and Paxton 70th and Varland 84th. He could stand to be higher. I'm, I'm 
I'm probably being a little skeptical about the playing time there with that ranking. My my take with Snell has been, obviously we've seen him turn his season on a dime with the start of the second half, each of the last two years, and become basically an ace from that point forward. There's no guarantee it's going to happen again, and that's part of the frustration. Just because it happened the last two years doesn't guarantee it's going to happen again. So you could be holding on to him all that time and get no benefit out of it. But if you want to make sure that you're the one who does benefit from it, if it happens again, then you just kind of have to hold on to him. Right. And so that's frustrating. That's why I didn't invest in Snell coming in, but you're in it now. Not much you could do. Can't trade him. Only choice would be to drop him. Would I drop him for James Paxton? I would hope I had someone else to drop instead, but the shallower the league, the more justifiable it is, I would say. Yeah, look, if Blake Snell is actively hurting your roster by you know just taking up a bench spot that you can't use obviously or you know it's taking up a spot where you could be streaming a pitcher or using James Paxton in a two-star week or anything like that then yeah I think you probably could but as you mentioned Scott you need to be okay with the fact that if you drop Blake Snell there is a chance that you're dropping a pitcher who turns into a top 30 a top 25 starting pitcher rest of season at some point but again there's no guarantee that that's going to happen I dropped Blake Snell down to SP 72 uh, and I have Paxton at 76 and Varland at 77. So it's certainly a conversation. You know, they're all kind of in that same mix at that po- uh, at this point, at least for me. Let's get into some outfielders. Yesterday, we spoke about some Cedric Mullins replacements. Again, it's a really big loss for fantasy. And we brought up Jake McCarthy and Brian De La Cruz and uh, Marcelo Zuna. Two other names that performed well on Wednesday and frankly have just been really good so far this season. Jose Siri went one for three with his 10th home run. He's a lower batting average guy, does strike out uh, quite a bit. He's hitting just 245, but he has 10 homers and five steals this year in 884 OPS. And like the rest of the Tampa Bay Rays, Jose Siri is hitting more fly balls this year. Uh, He entered Wednesday with an 18% barrel rate. That That is an elite number. He's also 99th percentile in sprint speed. Again, that's Jose Siri. Andrew McCutcheon just keeps on hitting. He went three for four with a double, a walk, and his sixth steal. Uh, he doesn't blow you away. He's a higher floor play at this point, but he's hitting 273 with an 822 OPS, eight homers, six steals. That's a 24-18 pace in terms of you know power and speed, and, and that's a really useful player. So uh, I don't think either of these names I would rank ahead of the ones we spoke about yesterday, Scott, but uh, any thoughts here on Jose Siri and Andrew McCutcheon? I'm really surprised Siri is rostered as little as he is. Yeah. Because, I mean, for a power, power, <clears throat> for a power speed guy, sure, he has strikeout issues, but they haven't killed him yet. Obviously, he's batting over 240, near 250, right? And has delivered on the power and the speed and is playing every day and is probably going to keep playing every day because he's a defensive asset. So I'm surprised in those five outfielder leagues he's not getting more attention because normally power speed guys, you know, we're talking roto context. uh, People are willing to overlook the strikeout issues for guys like that. I mean, is is it that clear that Christopher Morel, for instance when all said and done is going to be better than Jose Siri. I I don't think it's that clear. I think they have a lot of the same strengths, a lot of the same weaknesses. So we'll see. And, you know, I I'm, I'm saying at this point, Morel of course does need to be rostered more than Siri, but if you've missed out on Morel already and you're looking for that kind of production, Siri's still highly available. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree completely. Uh, Definitely on the point with Christopher Morel. I mean, these guys are very similar, super athletic guys, power, speed combinations there. One thing I noticed with Siri is it does seem like he sits out every fourth or fifth day for Tampa because he plays for Tampa. He's not immune to it like the rest of them. But uh, it's kind of like how, you know, Harold Ramirez sits out here and there. And same thing with like Isak Paredes. It's frustrating. But uh, when he does play, I thought it's a little more than I thought. But yeah. But it's like once or twice a week, basically, series sets. I think still in five outfielder leagues, you can overlook that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, would you be okay, Scott, the names we spoke about dropping yesterday, like Brent Rooker and Jaron Duran? I think even like Patrick Wisdom is probably in that mix too. What do you think about dropping those names for like a Siri or an Andrew McCutcheon? I don't think they're quite bad enough to drop for for those others. I mean, Rooker may end up there, but I'm not ready to pull the plug on him yet. Mm-hmm. I think in a points league, I'd be all right getting rid of Wisdom for either one, McCutcheon or uh, Jose Siri. Wisdom is just, he's been sitting out more and the strikeout rate is just so harmful in a points league. Uh, I think I'd be all right. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think in the long run any of them are going to be points league assets, really. So I, I guess that's fine if we're talking about a shallower context like that. Uh, McCutcheon, McCutcheon, Scott, I mean, he he's leading off now. He's got a good OBP on the season. I I think he's actually a pretty good points league player. Uh, again, he doesn't like blow you all away, right, but see. he's been solid. Let's see how he's actually doing in points leagues. You may be right. Uh, let's see. In terms of points per game, McCutcheon is 2.79. That's not bad. That's not bad. Wisdom is just a tiny thousandth of a point higher in a points league. Okay. But it's it's close enough that, you know, McCutcheon being the hotter hand right now, I'd be fine with it. It's not it's not a huge it's not like a difference maker. It's like, you know, maybe you're fine with him as your third outfielder in a points league kind of mm-hmm. thing. Jose Siri, by the way, uh, 3.2 fantasy points per game this year. I don't, I don't think that that will remain because, again, he strikes out a lot. But just to give you an idea of how good he's been on a per-game basis this season. Let's hit some news and notes before we get to our final break here, Scott. And uh, the big news from Wednesday, Justin Steele will undergo an MRI on his left forearm after leaving Wednesday's start. And it's obviously rough news for a starting pitcher who entered this start. SP 12 in head-to-head points and SP 18 in Roto this season. Uh, we'll wait and see what the news says, Scott, but you know the the early indications, it doesn't sound very good for Justin Steele. Yeah, I think forearm issue, you're almost certainly looking at an IL stint there. And I was asked on Twitter, do I think this means, do I think this could be Ben Brown's ticket to joining the Cubs rotation prospect throws hard tall guy he's gotten a lot of strikeouts between double and triple a this year already on the 40-man roster Hmm. which is probably the best thing ben brown has going for him i like it but i think they have more experienced options several more that they could plug in instead hayden wesneski for instance who followed steel in this game after steel left and, and threw more than three innings so he's still stretched out and he was fine in, in that relief appearance, I, I imagine they turned to Wes Nesky in the rotation before Ben Brown, Ben Brown, if I had to guess. Ben Brown in the minors this year, by the way, he's made nine starts, a 2.25 ERA, 111 whip, 66 strikeouts over 44 innings pitched. And uh, that's split between double A AA and triple A. He's been promoted over the past month or so. Uh, he's looked a little bit more human in double uh, in triple A so far. But I, I think I mostly agree with you. Yeah, it probably would, good, it was, would go to Wesneski first. It was really just one horrible start that he had, a, a start where he gave up like seven runs. Okay. For the most part, Ben Brown has been very effective. All right. Tristan McKenzie threw 85 pitches in his latest rehab outing on Tuesday. Not confirmed yet, but it would make sense for McKenzie to uh, make his season debut as soon as next week. Maybe even this weekend. Uh, it hasn't been confirmed yet, but... McKenzie's getting close. Wander Franco was out of the lineup Wednesday due to a left shoulder injury. They said he's just dinged up. Hopefully nothing bigger than that. Carlos Rodon will throw another bullpen session Friday. This will mark his third bullpen since May 14th. He remains without a timetable for now. Stop me if you've heard these two before. Uh, Byron Buxton has missed two of the past three games, and manager Rocco Baldelli admitted Buxton is playing at less than 100%, and apparently Eloy Jimenez has been bothered by a leg issue. Just never ends. Jorge Polanco will make his return Thursday, which means Edouard Julian will be optioned back to AAA. Giancarlo Stanton is in line to return Friday against the Dodgers, as is Anthony Rizzo, who has missed three straight with a neck injury. But again, sounds like he'll be back on Friday. Anthony Rendon is targeting next week for a return to the Angels. He was batting 301 before he got hurt, and he's 68% rostered. Uh, Scott, would you be looking to stash Anthony Rendon anywhere right now? Yeah, I know the power production has been disappointing, but uh, 
you'd be surprised in points leagues, which we generally think of as the shallower league, just how productive he's been on plate discipline alone. So if, if you're doing it in that shallower format, I think you got to do it in like a roto league with the extra corner and field spot as well. And there's a chance the power picks up. Obviously, we've seen Rendon, you know, even for the short time he was healthy last year, he was producing enough power, including his one and only career at bat from the left side of the plate when he hit a home run. Remember that? <laughs> that was one of the coolest moments of the season last year. I know Rendon did not do much outside of that, but man, that was that was such a cool moment. Yes, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. But, but what, Without getting stuck on that, uh, <laughs> what I mean is he had five home runs in 166 at-bats last year. So, you know, I I think he still has like 15 to 20 homer power that he could unlock potentially if he can stay, if he can stay healthy. Yeah, it's uh, we're talking about Anthony Rendon and James Paxson, right? It's like Spider-Man meme from like the pitcher and the hitter perspective. But between those two, Uh, Rendon, only 30 games played earlier this season, but was averaging averaging 3.2 fantasy points per game, which was the same mark as. Rafael Devers, Bobby Witt Jr. It was better than Alex Bregman, who uh, normally we look at as like a points league standout. So uh, yeah, I, I think definitely in that format, someone I would be looking to stash right now. Riley Green was placed on the IL with a stress fracture in his left fibula. Michael Conforto is day-to-day with a bruised left heel after his MRI came back clean. Alec Bohm underwent an MRI on his left hamstring and was out of the lineup Wednesday. A trip to the IL is possible. Michael Grove will be activated to start Saturday against the Yankees. Rowanzi Contreras will start Friday with uh, Vince Velasquez back on the IL. And one prospect note I wanted to highlight here, Scott. Oswald Peraza hit two homers in the minors on Wednesday night. He now has nine home runs over his last 13 games. The dude is red hot. I don't see how he fits into the Yankee lineup unless they make a Volpe for Peraza swap. I don't. I, I would take the under on that actually happening. I mean, I guess it's a possibility, but like Josh Donaldson's coming back this weekend. They keep playing him for whatever reason. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, ideally it would be like Peraza at third and Volpe at short, but I, I just don't know how he fits in right now. Yeah. And he, I mean, he's going to come back at some point. The thing is, particularly when the guy doesn't perform as expected the first time around, you can never, you can never like recapture that same hype as the initial call up. So I don't know that like, it's a big priority to stash Oswald Peraza. Like he could come back at some point and he could break through. I mean, maybe this, this binge he's been on at AAA is the start of it. But like, when he gets called up, it's doubt, it's doubtful. Many people in your league are gonna care, are going to care just because they've seen him a couple times already, and it it didn't work out then. Mm-hmm. Let's take our final break, and when we return, we'll talk about Shane Bieber and Aaron Nola. We'll do that here on Fantasy Baseball today. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Big thanks to those watching us live. It is nearly 1.30 a.m., 500 people watching us live. We do appreciate you being here. Make sure to like this video and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. Scott, I was trying to think of a clever name or segment idea for Shane Bieber and Aaron Nola. And as you can see on the rundown, 
I just wrote Bieber and Noah. I couldn't really think of anything creative. But uh, Shane Bieber knocked around at the Baltimore Orioles. Four innings pitched, seven earned runs. You know, you dig a little bit deeper at the things that we, we've been worried about this year. He actually did a good job, a great job of limiting hard contact in this one. Uh, still didn't get the, at any whiffs. The velocity was up. So it's like kind of a mixed bag here, like underlying some good stuff for Shane Bieber, but obviously not getting whiffs. That's like the downside here. His And that's the biggest thing. Right. As far as I'm concerned. His K minus walk rates got entering the start 10.3%, which ranks 58th of 70 qualified starting pitchers this season. This is just not the Shane Bieber that we have come to know over the past couple of years. No, no. And I've been worried about him really all season. He's had this. So this was his second disastrous start that he's had recently. Like he's managed to navigate it. Okay. Up until now, but now with this second disaster start, we're talking about a guy who has a 372 ERA, a 129 whip, and 6.4 K per nine. So now, like, I'm not even sure there's an opportunity to sell high anymore because those are not numbers that are going to win anybody over, I don't think. Certainly not for the price you'd need to justify moving Shane Bieber. You're hoping something changes for him at this point. But I'm going to make a prediction right now, okay? Really Uh-oh. bold prediction. Uh-oh. And maybe maybe everybody will laugh at me when the season's over looking back on it. But I'm going to predict here in the, in the fledgling hours, probably whatever, the, the wee hours of the morning on June 1st, this day forward, Lance Lynn will have better numbers than Shane Bieber Mm. from this day forward. I like it. Bold, spicy. Speaking of Bieber, uh, I was updating the rankings, and I dropped him outside the top 20 starting pitchers, Scott, for the first time this season. So uh, it's you know not a huge drop. He's down to SP21, but I moved guys like Joe Ryan and Logan Webb ahead of Shane Bieber. Um, but yeah, you know if he performs... To that level, Scott, we might be talking about, you know, not even a top 30 or top 40 starting pitcher rest of season for Shane Bieber. Uh, If you could still sell high and get top top 20 value for him, it's something you should look to do. Aaron Nola uh, with another blast start at the New York Mets. Six innings, four runs, three walks to five strikeouts. He had 11 swinging strikes on 103 pitches, limited the hard contact. And yeah, I mean, this wasn't really a bad start. I think he just gave up a home run and kind of got doomed there, but... Uh, the the velocity up across the board, the sinker up 1.7 miles per hour, the fastball up 1.6 miles per hour. Um, yeah, it's kind of tough with Arenola because he still stands at a, like a 4.7 ERA. And, you know, for everything we say about Bieber, Arenola's swinging strike rate is 10.7% this year, which is down quite a bit from where it's been at in, in years past as well. I mean, what are your latest thoughts on Arenola? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing about Bieber relative to, to Nola is he lost so much on his fastball last year and like should have collapsed then, right? Like pitchers don't normally survive that big of a drop in fastball velocity, but his his curveball and slider were so good that it made up for it. And so this is like the other shoe dropping this year, the him losing the bite on the breaking balls that allowed him to survive that steep drop in velocity. So that's that's... You know, the, the contrast between Bieber and Nola, why I'm so pessimistic about Bieber, but remain fairly optimistic about Nola. It, it You know, Nola needs to show signs of improvement here soon for me to keep staying optimistic with him. Because, yeah, a, a lot of the un- underlying numbers I normally look at don't look great for him. I just think Aaron Nola has had a whole career, basically, of making us panic for a month or two and then basically being Aaron Nola after that. I mean, the month or two may not be the first two months of the season, but like, you know, and of course a couple starts ago, he had 10 strikeouts and in seven innings and looked like retro Aaron Nola. So like there's, there's still signs of that guy in there. So I remain optimistic for now, but that gets harder with each start like this. Mm-hmm. I get what you're saying too. It's, it's not like a month or two collective, like 
consecutively, it's just kind of like six to 10 starts over the course of the season where, you know, you're just kind of left scratching your head with Aaron Nola. Like, is this guy really an SP one? And then again, at the end of the season, he just <clears throat> usually kind of winds up with Aaron Nola type numbers. A few names that could be out there for my deep leaguers. Uh, some hitters that have caught my eye. Patrick Bailey. Is there anything here, Scott, in a two-catcher league? Obviously, if we're playing in like 12 or 15-team Roto Leagues with two catchers, you know, you kind of get desperate for that second catcher spot. Uh, Patrick Bailey now has multiple hits in three of his last five games. Has played 11 games with the Giants. He's batting 333 with two homers and a 914 OPS. The other name here is Willie Castro, who went two for four with his 10th steal of the season. He added three runs scored. He's now with the Minnesota Twins, and the numbers look pretty good. 274 batting average, four homers, 10 steals, a 779 OPS, uh, and has a bunch of different eligibilities, second base, third base, shortstop, and outfield on CBS, Scott. Uh, deep leagues, anything on Patrick Bailey and Willie Castro? So, um, yeah, I wondered if the return of Royce Lewis would impact Willie Castro's playing time. But it, it, you know, looking at looking at the lineup history now for the Twins, he was playing third base only sporadically, and I know. Uh, well, they're also getting um, Jorge, Polanco. Jorge Polanco back yep. on Thursday, sending Edward Julian down. So that seems like you know something that won't disrupt Castro's playing time either. You just swap Julian out for for Polanco. Uh, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be difficult still, I think, to get him in the lineup regularly enough for him to remain this impactful. And, and I have questions about the profile anyway, he's pretty undisciplined hitter. He's had a nice run, but I wouldn't get too invested in it. Uh, and let's see, who's the other one, Patrick Bailey. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, clearly not worth using in one catcher leagues. But you pro- probably have to use him in a two catcher league, you know. And I don't know that the analysis needs to go any deeper than that right now. It's just kind of the nature of the position mm. where it's either one catcher leagues are too shallow, two catcher leagues are too deep. So it, it totally changes the value of a player, whether it's one catcher or two. Next year, coming to a league near you. 1.5 catcher leagues. <laughs> That's what I've always argued. I've argued that for years because people complain about two catcher leagues. Oh, you end up having to start all these scrubs. And it's like, well, but if you if you look at a one catcher league and there are always too many good catchers on the waiver wire because nobody ever wants to use a catcher in a utility spot for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, unless you're forcing people to pick up catchers specifically, you don't go deep enough at the position. Well, how would that, how would that even work, right? I mean, I guess it, it can't really work. It, it can't work, right? It's but just, it, yeah. yeah, it's probably, it's nice it would be fit. the perfect kind of in between, but yeah, it's just wouldn't really work. Uh, maybe like a, maybe like a catcher RP flex spot. <laughs> Gosh, oh, that sounds so <laughs> gross. Uh, if it's like a, only, only in points leagues, it wouldn't really work. If you otherwise. have a, if you have a crossover between like a, a fantasy baseball and football league, like a, a catcher tight end spot. I mean, that, I, that kind of just feels like where we're at at this point. Um, some pitchers in deeper leagues. Jaime Berea has made two solid starts in a row. He was at the White Sox, five innings, one run, six strikeouts with 13 swinging strikes on 90 pitches. And he's doing some good things. 12% swinging strike rate, uh, doing a good job limiting hard contact. Again, that's Jaime Berea. Tommy Henry, another great start up against the Rockies. Seven shutout innings with seven strikeouts, 12 swinging strikes on 95 pitches. And Julio Tehran, one of the most odd starts that you will see. Turned in his first quality start since September 7th of 2019. What were you doing on September 7th of 2019? Um, I couldn't tell you right now. Uh, he was at the Blue Jays. Six innings, one unearned run, zero walks, zero strikeouts. Two swinging strikes on 79 pitches and allowed a ton of hard contact. I, I don't really know how he got away with this one, but he did, Scott. Uh, obviously, we're talking like, 15-team leagues and deeper here, but any thoughts on Berea, Tommy Henry, and Julio Tehran? On that night, I was probably sitting here talking to the Welsh who was hosting. <laughs> no, no, no. I think it was still Adam Azer at the time. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, probably right, yeah. And and Adam, I don't know. I don't know when Adam and I started doing nights. I don't know. Anyway, 
Um, Tehran, yeah, he's a weird pitcher. He's been out of the league for a while. I'd bet against him, but you know, you look at the course of his career when he did have good seasons, they mostly weren't backed up by the underlying numbers. So it's not crazy to think he could be useful as like a streamer type, but I'd bet against it. Anything on those other two or just oh, don't really matter? Um, Jaime Berea, Tommy Henry? They're more interesting than Tehran. Berea has been getting nice swinging strike totals, especially on the strength of that slider, which he throws close to 50% of the time. I don't know how much job security he has, and it might only take one blow up for the Angels to lose faith in him. But I'm keeping an eye on Jaime Berea at the very least. Tommy Henry's had two good starts back to back. I don't know. I I don't see a lot of good in his profile. So I'm I'm steering clear of him for now. Mm-hmm. But we'll we'll continue to monitor it because it's too good in a row. And and when I say good, I mean in terms of like you know a lot of swinging strikes out of nowhere too. Yeah, eighteen swinging strikes in his previous start, twelve in this. Latest one for Tommy Henry. Let's wrap up with some leftovers here, Scott. Shohei Otani, two for three with a double dong, added four RBI and three runs scored. He is up to 15 home runs on the season, also has seven steals. His teammate Mike Trout went one for three with his 13th home run, a 461-foot shot. Of course, all of those came off of our boy, Lance Lynn. Not great. Uh, Seiya Suzuki went two for four with a double and a run scored. He finishes May batting 319 with five homers and a 977 OPS. I called him a buy high last week, and I stand by it. Mookie Betts went two for five with a double dong for him, and uh, he's up to 13 home runs as well. Caber Ruiz. This should have been in a waiver wire somewhere, so I guess I missed this one. But he went three for four with a double dong of his own. A revenge series against the Los Angeles Dodgers. He had three home runs in the series. Uh, he's only batting 237. The expected numbers are much, much better for Caber Ruiz and... Uh, Scott, I feel like he would be one of the perfect players for a 1.5 catcher format. <laughs> he would. Yeah. Especially, especially if it is a points format because he strikes out so little. Mm-hmm. Just a 7.6. Wow. Those expected stats are good. Yeah. 286 XBA 472 X slug for Cabot Ruiz. Yeah. Where did that come from? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, he's 40% rostered, so uh, again, yeah, he's like an in-between guy. I don't think he's available in a two-catcher league, and um, in a one-catcher league, he's probably not good enough to drop, you know, like a, I don't know, Alejandro Kirk or Tyler Stevenson type for him. So I think you could drop Kirk for him. He's just not playing enough and not producing when he plays and not producing in a way that would earn him more playing time. And maybe it'll change, but... Mm-hmm. He's just kind of useless right now. The only thing with Kirk Scott is that Danny Jansen went on the IL recently, so I could see the playing time going up, or at least that's the hope. Um, but let me see if it has. Uh, yeah, it has. I mean, he started four or five behind the plate. I guess I missed the missed the Jansen news. Sorry about that. All good. Okay. All right, let's stick with Kirk then. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, they're pretty similar players, right? It's like a high batting average. Not well, much Kirk, power. Kirk does hit the ball a lot harder. Like Kirk has, I think, more hope for power than Ruiz does, Ruiz does despite the two-homer game here. Mm-hmm. Last name here I want to mention, Masataka Yoshida went two for four with his seventh home run. He had four hard hits in this game, now batting 317 with an 899 OPS, 30 runs scored, 31 RBI, nearly as many walks as strikeouts, and we had the same exact idea, Scott. We both moved Yoshida up to outfielder 18 in head-to-head points leagues and just inside the top 30 in roto slash category formats. One lonely pitching leftover, George Kirby, was great up against the Yankees. Eight shutout innings with seven strikeouts, 10 swinging strikes on 95 pitches. Uh, Did allow 10 hard hits in this one. Velocity way up, nearly two miles per hour on each of the four-seam fastball in the sinker. I don't know if there's anything to add, Scott. George Kirby is very good. Well, I was coming off a very bad, bad start. True. Ooh. Thanks for bearing with me, everybody. I know I've had like, <laughs> I just, my voice just disappears on me mid word and I end up having to say the word over again so that people can hear it. 
uh, yeah, nice bounce back start for Kirby after a really bad one. All right. I'll just do the rest of the talking from here on out. <laughs> Let's get into the bullpens for the Tigers. Alex Lang struck out two for his 10th save. He is up to 75% rostered. And I don't know, probably should be 100%, right? I think even in points leagues, Alex Lang has been so good. Probably should be rostered there too. Uh, in Tampa Bay, Jason Adam entered in the eighth inning with a one-run lead facing 8-9-1 and one in the Cubs lineup. He gave up a hit and a walk. And then in the ninth inning, they started things off with Kevin Kelly. He only recorded one out. Jalen Beeks got the final two outs for his first save of the season. I would still bet on Jason Adam uh, getting the majority of the saves moving forward. For the Cubs, we continue to not know what's going on. Mark Leiter Jr. entered in the seventh inning with a runner on first and a two-run lead. He promptly gave up a two-run homer to Brandon Lau, then started the eighth inning and gave up a two-run homer to Jose Siri. So not the best outcome there for uh, Mark Leiter Jr. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm about ready to give up on him. Yeah. <laughs> about ready to give up on this voice, too, Scotty. Uh, for the Braves, Rysel Iglesias had a clean ninth inning for his fifth save for the Nationals. I think Kyle Finnegan's probably getting close to, like, drop territory here. He entered in the seventh inning with a one-run lead, uh, gave up a game-tying hit. He started the, uh, the eighth inning with a three-run lead, then gave up a solo homer to Mookie Betts. Just... His usage has kind of been all over the place recently. Uh, Hunter Harvey recorded the final six outs of the game for his third save of the season. For the Padres, Josh Hader entered the ninth inning with a one-run lead. He gave up two runs, took his third blown save and first loss. For the Brewers, Devin Williams picked up his ninth save. For the Reds, Alexis Diaz was unavailable. Buck Farmer picked up his first save. Uh, And for the Mets, they had a three-run lead. Adam Adovino pitched in the eighth. David Robertson closed it out for his 10th save of the season. To stream or not to stream, Scott, very short slate here on Thursday. Three names that I wrote down. Taiwan Walker at the Mets, Zach Davies versus the Rockies, Reed Detmers at the Astros. Frankly, I don't want to use any of those. If you have to use one, Detmers is probably it. Mm -hmm. And then on Friday... Also not looking like the greatest. No, it's it's quite bad. Uh, I think Edward Cabrera versus the Oakland A's. It's probably the most interesting. Uh, Maybe he'll save your his job since you want to take it away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, honestly, I would I would welcome it because I do have Edward Cabrera on a few teams. Uh, I guess Dean Kramer at the Giants. If you're looking at a second one, like Garrett Whitlock has pitched well, but going up against Tampa Bay in Fenway Park, I don't really love it. Anything else? No. (laughs) That is a fitting way to end this podcast. For Scott, I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.